0: and welcome to the c21 podcast my name's jonathan webdale today we hear from dcd rights Nikki davies williams and hatrick international sarah tong about the 2023 london tv screenings and from cineflix rights tim mutimer new and connects rudolph bouet Hattrick productions paul cohen and federation studios Guillaume pommier about the changing role of distributors in program finance The London TV screenings takes place in the UK capital next week, with founders All3 Media International, Banerjee Wrights, Entertainment One, Fremantle and ITV Studios, joined by a host of others as an array of distributors line up to present their 2023 catalogues to buyers from all around the world. The event's been gaining momentum in recent years, though 2022 marked the first formalised physical gathering following the COVID pandemic and more buyers than ever are expected in London this time, with BBC Studios' annual showcase also returning to the city after almost a decade in Liverpool. DCD Rights Chief Executive Nikki Davies-Williams and Hattrick International Director of Sales Sarah Tong spoke to me about staging their own joint screening for the second year in a row... The shows they have on offer and the hot topics for them right now, from growing co-production opportunities to the rise of fast channels and the impact of global streamers relaxing their rights positions. Nikki Sarah, you joined us to talk about the London screenings this time last year. 2022, I guess, was the first, well, it was the first physical event following COVID and um, a lot of the conversation last time was about getting back in the room, getting back to business as usual. So Uh, What's business like for you right now?
1: It's been good, yeah. We had our um, best year ever, actually, in 2022, um, which was fantastic and we are looking forward to an even better year this year so I think we've got I think production is completely back up and running and that obviously our business relies on back catalogue but mainly relies on supply um, and that supply is fully back up and running and coming you know, we're working now with over 30 producers so not just Hattrick or Hatrick Group and that's doing really well for our business. So um, GCD's
2: had a good year as well I think that screening's really set aside well, actually, last year. Um, I think that the fact we were there and um it was mainly drama focused, but also some strong factual shows that we had. And um the rest of the year has been much better meeting-wise and generally getting the feedback from people a bit more than we'd been doing on the Zoom all the time. So it, it's You know, I'm really looking forward to this screening on Tuesday for us, that um, it's going to be a a very well-attended event. And I think buyers are ready to start looking at fresh programming and uh, come and see what we have to offer and hopefully a very entertaining event for them.
0: And you've decided to do a joint event together. So um, first one for you last time obviously worked out for you if you're doing it all over again. (laughs) But there's a whole... Range of new companies as well that have joined the screenings as well. So how's the event growing? Do you feel and 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 evolving?
1: I think. I mean, I think as Nikki touched on, it it does. It's a really good timed event because it's at the start of the year. Everybody's back. Everybody's working. It's like we're looking forward to the year ahead. So I think in terms of timing, calendar wise, it's 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 fantastic. And buyers are out there ready. You know, they are now able to travel again properly. I mean, though a lot of people were traveling this time last year but there were still a lot of there was a lot of caution especially with with you know some bigger group companies um so I think everybody's out there ready waiting to buy and look so you know they're going to be coming into London already are in London with a vengeance and you know think, it, I, it makes sense for Nikki and I to do it together because you know we played very nicely together last year and we've got complementary catalogs and, and I think nice. our
2: teams work well together as well and uh, and from a a buyer's point of view we're good value if you've got the two in one <laughs> you know it's very hard to fit everybody in so you've got one venue and two big screenings and some you know a good interchange of people afterwards at drinks so it it has worked really well uh i think there's been a strong demand for programming this past year and and we've both seen improvements in our figures because of that um, and buyers are interested in also what you've got coming down the line as well as the finished programs themselves and with the higher level drama buyers are here it's a chance to bring some of the creatives to the fore who can really talk about the content that's coming through
0: what about those buyers that are coming to town you know and the the variety the volume of them as well it was still a sort of a, a post covid kind of a, a event last year you know and, and and it was a struggle for some people still to to make it to the uk you know, is it is it gonna be much different this year?
1: Yeah, there's a lot more people coming. If if our if our guest list is anything to go by, the people who have, you know, we invited pretty much the same number, the same companies last year as we did this year. And although we had a very good turnout last year, the the people who have RSVP to say they're coming is way over what we had last year. And I think, you know, just with the variety of buyers, we've got very much on you know, drama and factual and formats so that everybody's in town.
0: And um, what about the popularity of UK programming around the world and, and the place of, of the UK on, on the global stage? There's obviously plenty of investment going into production here um, and, and the programmes that you're representing are going to find uh, outlets all over the place. But, um, you know, h- how do you feel that that dynamic is kind of shifting?
2: Well, I'm I'm just thinking the, the UK market has consistently um, de- delivered quality I think one of the interesting developments has been a lot more cooperation across countries. Um, You know, we've got teams of British production people working in Asia. Um, We've always, always handled a lot of programming from Australia, but there's much more of an intermix of different nationalities working together than there has been. And the need for more co-production and um, pre-buys across territories has meant that talent is mixing a lot more than. It used to. So uh, I I think the nature of buying television has, has become slightly more universalized in the last yeah really and producing
1: television
0: sarah did you want to come in on that
1: yeah no i would i would agree you know with with, with what nikki says you know the uk has always been well known for producing quality content and hatrick international and you know i don't want to speak for, for dcd but you know we both are very much in the realm of quality content and so our content does sell because that's what buyers do want so you know we have a like nick like dcd we have a range of producers that we work with from all over the uk um not just london-based all over the uk as well as ireland australia new zealand the U.S. Um, and even some European foreign language programming as well. So it's it's we we don't just sell British content. Um, it is by far the majority of our catalog is 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 British is is and most of it is English language. But
2: I think that's right. The majority of our program is English language, but it's um, in our cases is, is based from production. You know, large amount in Australia, New Zealand's been very uh, productive over the last few years i think ireland is is firing on all cylinders actually for production at the moment but asia is a bit more of an untapped market that we with our new ownership are starting to really investigate and uh try and open up that market
0: much more you talked about co-productions the greater need for co-productions um just explain a little bit about why you see that and Also, how you're going about making sure that you're part of those types of deals and and the competitive landscape.
2: Well, I I think there's a new and interesting role for distributors that has really significantly increased from lockdown onwards, which is the point where uh, if a successful show is not fully commissioned for the second and third series, that really distributors can be the linchpin on putting together the finance with the producer. And so a lot of our work now does involve packaging, pre-sales and co-production around the longevity for series such as My Life is Murder and a couple of others in our repertoire at the moment, um, where the partners are a significant part of the uh, finance as well as the local broadcasters. I think you always need the local broadcasters involved and uh, uh, the cost of television has not gone down, it's going up. And in order to meet the new budget demands with a successful show, producers are starting to look to Distributors to try and raise um, further finance uh, to maintain the the sort of standard of production that they are used to.
0: And how do you put those deals together? Because everybody obviously needs to contribute to to, to fund, as you say, growing budgets for for programs. But uh, as a distributor, um, often attached to a company that that also produces as well. I mean, you know, you don't have kind of endless funds just to to sort of back projects that you're then looking to 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 sell so you know how do you actually sort of structure those things and and how do you uh you know derive the finances that are needed from a distributor that's normally generating its money from sales
3: um
2: well we obviously do have finance and uh we do have long-term relationships and it is a matter of cooperation between partners if there's a will to continue a series then it's a question of putting the different partners together and trying to make sense around finance plans i mean it's enormous complex thing to do but it, it we have succeeded with a number of series over the past three years in doing that so it, it is increasingly part of our business although our ideal world is to pay in advance and distribute a finished program but I think there's more demanded of distributors in the last few years
0: and you're part of 108 media um, which you have been for about 18 months now two years something like that so um, that's a London and Singapore based company i think they um recently added piccadilly pictures to their portfolio as well another tv and sort of film financing specialist so is 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 that the kind of you know that that's the backing that that a company like yourselves kind of needs in this environment to continue to co-produce and develop projects in the way that you would like
2: well we obviously have our own catalogue of programs 108 are producing and they are building production outlets but they have many different hats we're still in the trans Transition period with them, but we will be fully owned to them short, by them shortly, um, and we are working on one of their first productions at this market. So. We're very excited to have a, an owner who does also produce, and it's the first for us, unlike Hattrick, where you're based within the context of a burgeoning production company. Um, up until this point, we've been standalone distribution only. Uh, and we are obviously still arm's length with our owners because we have third-party relationships with a large number of independent producers. And so we, we are very careful that we give equal weight to all our partners partners and producers. But for us, it's very exciting to have a development slate in-house that is looking enormously promising and will deliver its first very strong show this year.
0: Can you tell us more about that show?
2: Yes, it's Inspector Singh with Sanjeev Baskar. So it's our first production um, in Malaysia. It's working with Revolution Pictures over there, but with a British crew and British talent here, hence my reference to that previously. Um, And it's based on a series of books about an irascible and fairly grumpy police officer who just has that sense of genius that really finds out those little details that opens up a case. And Sanjeev Bhaskar plays Inspector Singh. And we will have some footage of that to share at the screening. So we're very excited about that one.
0: Sarah, what about your approach and involvement in co-productions? And uh, what are some of the projects that you're looking to have discussions with potential partners um at the screenings
1: well one of the um dramas that's headlining our slate is payback which is the new drama from htm which is a co-production like nikki's (laughs) so ours is a co-production It's for with britbox international and it's for itv over here and we will have some of the cast and crew at the screenings to talk about that and we i mean we don't tend to do a huge number of co-productions we do do some where the, you know, often, as you've already pointed out, well, as Nikki has pointed out, the budgets are so big that you often, with the money that's going in from the UK broadcasters, is not enough to cover that. So you do, you know, we often do have to bring in a co producer, whether it's a co producer or just an enhanced pre sale to fund that gap. We don't tend to do that many in that with the producers, obviously, all the money going into the budget, that's their profit going. So we tend to if we can just find one whopping <laughs> partner that will then cover that gap and the rest of the money goes there therefore is is straight to the producer's profit line. but it is it is it is hard to find content that can be fully funded or you know almost fully funded, especially in the world of, of scripted but it is becoming more of a thing in in it's always been there with factual but it is becoming more of a thing especially with feature docs kind of becoming a lot more
0: popular now in terms of the sort of types of programming that you're representing that you're looking to develop that the buyers are interested in just sort of talking about scripted and non-scripted you know how are sort of appetites changing there there are suggestions that scripted budgets certainly are potentially reaching a peak and that yeah you know maybe there's an opportunity there for for unscripted to to benefit are you seeing those sorts of things play out
1: yeah I mean I think that's scripted there is a huge popularity for good quality scripted content I think it's slightly changing with what people are looking for what buyers are looking for in that in that sense since COVID in that there is definitely more of a demand now for less gruesome less crime, more uplifting, more aspirational factual content. I mean, there still is a market for crime, but it's it's not as we're not finding it's as huge. And it's as desirable as it is, as it once was, possibly because there is so much crime in the market. And, there, you know, there is still a market for it, but not as it was. Um, I think in scripted, in our experience, high quality scripted content has has always sold. There's not really, you know, we have a, a lot of detective drama, hugely popular. And I think it always will be because as a viewer, you know, you love playing along at home, you know, who did it? And I think in comedy, we, the comedy is obviously something that Hatrick specialises in and is, is known for. It is without doubt, in my opinion, the hardest genre to sell. It's what we find <laughs> funny here. Our British, our British sense of humour doesn't always travel. We have got a new comedy that we're launching at the market and also announcing another new comedy that's on the way but it is you know as I always say to the producers of at Hattrick as well as the third party producers you know it's very very difficult when you read a comedy script to know whether it is going to to sell you know Derry Girls has been hugely successful here in the UK it has done really well internationally it's been picked up by Netflix who came on board very early and were huge supporters of it but it's now that we've had three series of it and it's done done really well and everyone's like oh my god Netflix is brilliant buyers then they kind of with comedy need to feel the hype and and before they will bunge and you know brave it you know it's very very risk averse comedy more than anything else.
2: I think you're right actually on the slightly softer edge of programming being quite successful at the moment um Sarah we found that very much with um you know, my life is murder is a closed-ended, fairly soft crime series. Um, we've had a lot of success with Love Me with Hugo Weaving, and that's going to second season. And um, the broader subjects in drama, in in uh, detective drama, I think is interesting because it takes you to another place. It, it's it's as much looking at an entirely different landscape than being somewhere else with a detective series with artists that you know and recognize. And I think the crime, you know, the, the factual crime series are doing very well on Fast Channels. Um, the Fast Channels just eat up crime programming, and that's been showing a very good return in, uh, in America in particular. But that's less reliable. You can't really rely on that to fund a show. Uh, so funding new crime in factual programming is more difficult but uh, certainly for broadcast it's got a softer edge I think most of the darker programs work with streamers which is a bit a different kind of layer of selling and so you've what you've got with the landscape at the moment although the streamers are consolidating and just putting the brakes on a bit right now you've got multiple layers of networks you can sell to which absorb different kinds of programs and the interesting thing, it broadcast is slightly softer. Um, the the streamers you can go darker, and the fast channels and lower down is your long tail, but absorbing crime and splashy titles, and you know, sort of stand out. Kind of says in one word what it is, and something reasonably sensational is
0: really what's working in those areas. Since you talk about fast, um, I think it was um, Paul Cohen, uh, Hat Tricks uh, commercial director who talked about the long tail getting longer with these these fast channels i mean it's very much a a u.s phenomenon in the main but it does seem to be spreading and um you know there's a lot of excitement around it is that an area that you're both active in
1: yeah definitely it's it's a it is um especially especially with Paul being our commercial director um but it's it is there is definitely the money is not replacing the the money of that you see from more traditional you know s and and linear traditional linear because obviously fast is linear but um income but it is absolutely on the up and it's quite you know it's quite exciting it's it's a new it's a new media really that we are selling to so it's it's as you say, it's very big in the US. It is big in the UK. Australia is definitely growing. I think there are territories, certainly in Latin America or in Asia, that that could be big, but I think they're just there's there's not the I don't know whether it's that there's not the right technology to kind of garner that income in those territories as yet. But it is something that we're looking at doing our own fast channels as well as supplying content to other already established fast channels worldwide
0: and as distributors the complexity around it, i suppose is uh, obviously working out your existing rights deals for for programs with significant oh, yes. back catalogs which you know you've already licensed elsewhere and, and, and making sure you don't upset any of those pre-existing uh, client relationships
1: yeah i mean the, i think one of the beauties of fast channels are that they do want library content it's it's not, they don't have to have the newest thing. So it's it's where you've got a well-established catalogue and they've got good content from well-known brands or well-known names. It's something that is going to stand out. It does work really well. So it's, but yeah, it is a bit of a availability nightmare. But, you know, we do have databases and spreadsheets and a team of people to find out (laughs) what they can sell where. That's where we live. That's our job day
2: to day, (laughs) isn't it? I'm speaking exactly. for myself here, but that seems to be all we, all we do is try and figure out these rights. Um, we've actually got one fast channel, which is a Bridezilla's channel. And that has, a. you really need about 200 hours of programming if you're going with a brand. For a fast channel, so you you can refresh, and you've got enough shows or genre specific, as you say. But it is an interesting development, and it is free to market, and um, it will overcrowd itself at some point, I think. But it it's it's certainly been a nice surprise over the year.
0: What about what's going on more broadly the, with the global streamers? They they seem to be sort of relaxing their rights positions in in some cases as they come under more competitive pressure. And at the same time, you've got the US studios that had withdrawn from licensing, you know, they, they seem to be returning to the market, having been sort of warehousing content within their own uh, streaming services. So you know, what are, what are the implications of those shifts for your business and the industry as a whole?
1: it swings and roundabouts really i mean i think you know there are some of those global streamers that are now very much geared towards local for local only in terms of the content that they're looking to buy which is is good in terms of availability and and what you can supply and it means that you've got a much bigger market so you're not just selling everything in one place so it is more profitable but it also means that you don't have those global deals that were also very profitable that you could do so it kind of you know it is six of one and a half a dozen of the other whether it's i can't you know i can't say whether it's a good or a bad thing it's it is it's a title by title thing i
2: i tend to agree and i think a lot of the streamers also found that they needed to localize their programming they needed to have local programs to break into and new- market. And that really, it it was a natural progression that it then split the market for themselves in that way. What's been interesting, though, is, is markets like South Korea suddenly breaking out with shows that can work around the world. And and so this wonderful mix of programming that has been coming back at us has provided much more quality and breadth of programming around the world. So so like all these developments, it's a question of reading it, figuring it out, talking to people. And then a lot of ingenuity to fit together in a puzzle that will reward producers as much as we're able. I think, Sarah, probably you as well, as we spend a lot of time trying to ensure that that shows are profitable for producers. And so if you split the market, you probably have a more uh, reasonable chance of making it profitable. And then you've got a good relicense market then over a short period of time, maybe over over five years you can then go back to market and start licensing
0: again producers are under a lot of pressure everyone's under a lot of pressure because of the, uh, the economic environment that we're in at the minute we have seen some some producers kind of um, calling time on their businesses just recently the the after effects of the pandemic and so forth so how are those pressures kind of affecting you and and what you do as you say you try to make shows as profitable as possible for, for producers some of which you may be struggling but it's it's, it's a challenge time for yourself as well as companies
2: uh, steady as she goes i think you know obviously you've got to watch overheads uh we were talking about up markets earlier there's a huge amount of markets to travel to in the world you know we look at the year sales pattern and i think if i bring us back to the screenings this week it's as these markets build from the buyer's point of view as well they need to be in the most effective place in the most effective time and and i think this particular Screening has got all the major distributors with huge amounts of new programming and quality that really offers buyers a very good menu of opportunity for them to go away and think about and fit into their year. I think. That certainly across the DCD and Hattrick screenings, there's probably, you know, a good 10 dramas or something between us to really be talking about, and a uh, good selection of new factual programs. So I think we're there to serve both producers and buyers. And uh, hopefully they'll enjoy the week as well and get a bit of a chance to breathe in between what looks like a very hectic schedule
1: well and we're giving them a drink as well oh yes
0: (laughs) okay well we look forward to hearing more and and catching up in person at the london screenings and look forward to everything that's going to come from that so thanks very much for for joining us once again nikki and sarah much appreciate it
1: thanks jonathan thank you
0: International television distributors used to be exactly that. Specialists in finding buyers around the world for shows made either in-house at a sister production outfit or on behalf of a third party. Licensing finished tape remains a cornerstone of these companies' activities, but the lines between programme sales, development, co-production and finance are increasingly blurred, with the growth of streaming adding a further layer of complexity. Cineflix Media Rights Chief Executive Tim Mutimer New & Connect Chief Executive Rudolf Bouet, Hattrick Productions Group Commercial Director Paul Cohen and Federation Studios Co-Head of Distribution Guillaume Pommier spoke to Hayley Babcock about these issues and more.
3: Let me introduce myself now. My name is Hayley Babcock. I run a consulting, a media consulting company out of the US focused on really global connections in the content space with clients in North America who need help bridging their business outside of the US and people outside of the United States who want some strategic and creative help bridging their business into the US and North America in general. And we have a really great panel of people with interesting, deep, rich perspectives and uh, and opinions about how this market is changing. So, You know, before the pandemic, with the rise of AVODs and SVODs and all the streamers, with the tectonic shift in our our business, people were getting worried and pessimistic. And then COVID hit on top of that. And it really caused, obviously, for many reasons, tremendous concern. But it seems like with crises also come opportunities for change. And there doesn't seem to be, in the issue of distribution and funding new content a need for all the doom and gloom that i think people were feeling previously it was independent third party producers who needed distribution for their projects and strategic partners and funding were worried linear broadcasters legacy media was worried and distributors who needed to fill their catalogs and enhance their catalogs and their sales opportunities with product outside of that being produced by their own production companies. We're also very concerned, but it seems like it's presented a new opportunity because competition creates change, creates new commissioning opportunities, new funding opportunities, and the breakdown of the classical model of how things used to run, and that's what we're going to be talking about today with this fabulous group of people from a lot of different perspectives. So let's begin. With talking about those models and how they have changed. How you did your business before, Tim, and how you looked for third-party and funded third-party content versus what you're doing now. What would you say a couple of the biggest shifts are, positive or negative?
4: I think if you if you look at the catalog that we distribute. You know, now and a few years ago, a lot of the shows we were distributing, we had big US partners that could be sci-fi, CW, shows that were being commissioned out of the US. Um, Increasingly, we're working with content that's being commissioned by streamers. I think that's really exciting because you look at what's happening to all of those big streamers at the moment, and they're looking at their economic model. Um, And whereas they were commissioning for the world in a lot of instances, they're not anymore. And what does a distributor do at heart? we kind of understand the world and we can kind of jigsaw together funding for content. So we just launched Last King of the Cross, which is a big Australian show commissioned by Paramount Plus in Australia. Um, but Paramount Plus are only taking Australia, so we could come in, and this was one of the, the most expensive um, scripted shows ever commissioned in Australia, so there was a huge deficit. And we were able to come in and understanding the world market, you know, we could be confident that we could, we could cover that gap we brought in a pre-sale with Sky. It's a Sky original in Europe. Um, and that's an opportunity that wouldn't have existed a few years ago. And you look at our catalogue, and more and more of the content that we're investing in is coming from those kind of streamers who are investing in really premium content. But for you know, economic reasons, they're seeing it as a lead title in a certain territory. And I think what a distributor can do is look at a show like Last King of the Cross, which Paramount Plus clearly wanted for Australia. It's an Australian story. Yeah. We spoke to him and the producers and said, well, look, if you, can, if you can attach a really strong international name, that's a hook that will allow us to sell it internationally. Uh-huh. It was based on a true story. It's the kind of content right. that we know travels, and we know where we can maximize the revenue.
3: Guillaume, would you say that you were seeing similar shifts in your business? or?
5: Yeah, definitely. What I find interesting is that, you know, originally when you had like an SVOD partner, he was taking the world, the universe for such a long period. Um, And I think that some of our clients, linear channels especially, they felt that they need to be super early stage in the process, you know, uh, pre-buying, considering at the script level. So we know now when we have a producer coming and he's having a gap, and he wants us to be either co-producer and or distributor. Mm-hmm. We could have some relay and potential clients uh, locally, so linear channels could also be, also be uh, um, local streamers, you know, acquiring only for the, for the, um, the, the country. So, um, yeah, it's been more interesting and more diverse, I think.
3: Now, both of you are talking about some scripted properties, but this applies to scripted and unscripted. So, Paul, I'd mm-hmm. like to ask you, how have things changed for you? What Funding models has it changed? Has it remained similar? Is the windowing opportunity different, or the the platforms to which you sell different? What does it look like?
6: I think the pressures are perhaps less than they are in, in scripted because the the rising costs has not been as as, as huge, but the 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 the, the opportunities are, are still there. Um, I think SVODs and, and generally are becoming more uh, selective in in their, their territories in terms of what they want and what they can afford. So. I think it's probably similar, but on a, perhaps on a, on a smaller scale.
3: Mm-hmm. Rodolphe, has your model changed or?
7: Well, dr- drastically changed and, uh, and maybe slightly differently than the one from, from team because we, we New End Studio and New Connect, so we are a European uh, production and distribution company uh, based in Europe, anchored in Europe, and we never had uh, that. So three years ago, we never had the experience of Backing a US shows and uh, and then distributing it uh, throughout uh, throughout the rest of the world. So we were mainly trying to bring together some element to finance uh, European shows. And the model in Europe was quite uh, simple. So you had generally a, a main commissioner covering a significant uh, part of the of uh, of the production budget, and the gap deficit we were covering was uh, was small. Since then, the market drastically changed. So I would say we are not we are talking about being distributors, but sometimes I feel being a, a, an engineer, a financing engineer, sometimes I'm, I feel being a, 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 a clockmaker. So, uh, Because we, we most of the times when we are partnering with producers on a the project, they came to us with either commissioners or not. We are pre-developing sometimes projects. So we, we really need to bring together all the element, manage to Take the role of uh, mediators uh, between streamers, linear channels, uh, some equity partners. So, so we need to bring everything together to make sure that we will we will align all the elements which will make the product uh, being possible. So,
3: what you're talking about to a great degree is not just <clears throat> financing, but basically being co-production partners in many ways mm. because. All of you, when we spoke earlier, and I think it's interesting for anyone in our audience who has content and is looking to find a partner, a distributor, strategy partner, the concept of co-producing saying, you know, if we have to find you funding for this project, we're gonna help you early on make some changes or shifts that makes it more globally appealing or that would enable us to go to more buyers and make it more palatable for other markets and so forth. both, I think, on the scripted and on the unscripted side, you were all saying the same thing. So perhaps I'm I'm going to guess that our audience is interested in that aspect of it. Perhaps each of you could speak a little bit to what that co-producing element that you bring to the table entails. And as you just said, Rodolphe, sometimes people come to you without a broadcaster. When, in instances, are you willing and able to take a pitch when there isn't an original broadcaster on board and when... Do you really need people to come to you when they have an anchor an anchor buyer I should say and need you after the fact maybe we start with you Paul
6: I think we we would always probably all prefer an anchor buyer it shows someone believes in the in in the show I think that's sometimes in terms of the co-production point that you're making you know particularly with buyers who who are working across um, you know the entire world it's working with a producer to try and minimise what that buyer's taking. You know, we've had historically buyers come and say, well, we're doing a deal with I don't know, Discovery or that Geo, and they're taking this, this, and this, and sometimes we'd say, well, if only you had come to speak to us a little bit earlier. Okay. You didn't need to give that, and you really shouldn't have given that, so talk to us earlier, and we can help, you know, because we're talking to these people all the time. You, know, you want to give as little as you possibly can yeah. and get as much as you possibly can, which gives you the rest of the world to play with.
3: Tim? What are your thoughts
4: on that? Yeah, look, I think um, likewise we prefer an anchor broadcaster because that tells us editorially what what it's going to be. It's easier to pitch it out. And I think once you have that, you can talk to partners around the world. So with The Last King of the Cross, Sky kind of could see it's a Paramount Plus show in Australia. And with the script, with some thoughts on casting, it's a lot easier for someone to come in as a pre-buy. And then, you you know, you're you're getting towards covering your deficit and you you can...
3: How did it work with Tehran? That's one of your titles.
4: Yeah, that was before my time, but that was a project that, again, Cineflix um, deficit financed, and it was at the the time that COVID was shutting down production, so it was a a seller's market. There was lots of interest, and and Apple TV Plus came in with a great offer, um, and and they took world on that. Okay. Um, But, you know, I think as a distributor now, you look at, are there those global plays? are there territory-by-territory territory plays? And that's probably where we add most value because you know we can patchwork things together.
3: So again, for both of you, it's like have an anchor buyer on board, but that's it. Then come to us and let's strategize together mm. about how to squeeze the most juice out of the orange globally after that.
4: Yeah. And that's, that's a great position to be in. Um, the market's crowded, so we will on occasion try and get involved earlier on. Um, so... You know, we we spoke to Synchronicity, who had huge success with The Cry. They've got a project in development that we loved because it was based on book IP. Mm -hmm. So maybe if you don't have a broadcaster, but you have some IP that you feel is really strong. Um, So we got involved at that stage and funded a script.
3: Interesting. um,
4: And then worked with them to get it funded.
3: That's a good point. Rodolfo, you just mentioned sometimes people come to you without that anchor buyer or broadcaster? Can you speak to that? Like like Tim said, do you need them and then at that instance to have some sort of recognizable IP or not
7: necessarily? So we, when we are working at very early stage, meaning that we, we will co-develop a project with, uh, with uh, producers uh, without commissioners on board, uh, we need to get either an existing IPs or working with uh, uh, producers with a significant track record with which is reassuring us on the fact that uh, investing development money uh, will get some returns at at some point. Um, So it's uh, it's uh, first answer on on the other on the other point. So when we have contact with producers, with existing uh, commissioning on board, we want to be at the earliest stage possible to make sure that uh, even though we have uh, a product which is locally anchored with very strong roots uh, and, uh, and, and a very uh, clear and uh, identified strategy and positioning, um, if we want to bring more values for international, sometimes it's good to be at early stage to be able to bring uh, Co financing uh, partners from another European territories or potentially influence on, the, on, on some of the, on, on some of the writing or on the casting to make sure that uh, the, the potential the international potential will grow up and will give us a chance to address specifically Germany or Nordic territories or the US because we have some elements which will convince the commissioners to, 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 to jump on board so. So we are, we are more nuanced in the way we are approaching the market.
3: Guillaume, you have spoken about something similar. Do you do anything or see anything differently than what you've just heard your colleagues talk about? No,
7: I
5: agree on the fact that once you have at least one first commissioner, first of all, you're not asking the other ones to take the risk for the first time. Mm-hmm. It can give the, give a color to the program. You know, It's not the same show if you're doing for TF1 or for Canal+. Mm-hmm. So when you're going to see other potential partners, they have a sense and a color of the show. Um, but in the meantime, if you have what we see, for example, in France, it's pretty hard to find great writers, because they are mostly working with the streamers. So we have a lack of great writers. And sometimes you have small producers pairing with a, um, a writer with a huge potential. So you, if, if this producer comes to us saying, we have a great project from this guy, we might be interested to look at it early stage, even though they don't have any first commissioner, because you know, you're know you betting on the future. It might be really interesting. Um, and as Rodolphe said, we are engineers. So it's interesting for us to be here early stage in the discussion with the first commissioner so we can maybe improve the contract and the production conditions for the future windowing. So the sooner the better in that case.
3: We're talking about financing here and that's what this discussion is about. So you bring up the concept of windowing, Mm -hmm. which is putting those chess pieces together to make a whole picture, to get that whole budget covered. Talk a little bit about how that has changed since before the pandemic and before all the AVODs and SVODs came to the forefront. And what, if anything, you're doing differently and what people who come to you might expect to see happen.
5: To me, I feel it's just back to basic. Because for example, in France, on the, on the you know, um, linear channels, you can do a free TV, then a pay TV, you would do the DVD, you would do the TVOD, and then the SVOD. And one day, a massive streamer came and said, guys, I'm putting a lot of money up front right now, but I'm taking the world for such a, you know, a long period. And we were like, okay, why not? And now we're coming back, because I think it's interesting to you know diverse your, your, your number of clients. Um, we know that we can be, because we're in the middle between the producer and the commissioners, we can have a discussion, a pragmatic one, on the needs of the linear channels and the SVOD services. Um, and I think it's a way to optimize the deal, uh, to optimize your catalog, and to so eventually optimize the revenues.
7: I, I, well, I totally agree with what uh, Guillaume just said. So it's it's clear that we we came from a, a world of uh, abundance. So we so, as you say, so Netflix or Amazon was coming to us, uh, making a big check, taking all rights, and and that that was it. And then they discovered that. Uh, uh, partnering with uh, very so with local uh, commissioners, local linear channels, really anchored was giving them a chance to get on top of their original programming, some identified face, identified uh, um, cast or talent which were non-accessible uh, for them, and and then the pragmatic came. So at some point, uh, everyone discovered that uh, if we to, to 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 produce and finance. Uh, a, a, a great project, uh, sometimes we had to sit together and uh, and figure out how to finance the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we had first discussion between uh, uh, linear channels uh, in France, in Spain, in Germany, about first window with the linear channels and then the second windows with the streamers. And at some point, uh, everyone understood that there were a way to potentially maintain the audience uh, with, uh, non-exclusive, uh, with non-exclusive right, with windowing, which was predicting every single exploitation. Okay. And we are now in a position to, when we have to finance a show, uh, so we have a budget and then we figure out, according to the level of investment, every single partner is ready to go for, uh, to to talk about first windows or second windows or third windows and uh, manage an ecosystem which will make the show uh, existing and, uh, and possible to finance.
3: Once again, I think a lot of what you're talking about really applies to scripted programming. And I always want to balance this discussion a little bit with those of you who touch on unscripted. So, Tim, you represent Property Brothers, which is an unscripted success story. You also, when we were talking previously, said something that I thought was really interesting. And I wonder if and how that applies at all to the unscripted space. And Paul, I'm gonna ask you the same thing. You said, nobody is made of endless funds. So to your point, Guillaume, at the beginning, you know the big Amazons would come in and say, here's all the money in the world. We take all the rights forever in perpetuity in all media. Great, now that's shifting because nobody, not even Amazon or Netflix is made of endless funds has this shift and the concept of windowing and the change in windowing, has that applied at all to the unscripted space?
4: Yeah, look, I think the, the direction of travel generally is more towards shared exclusivity. Now, look, it's a case by case basis and you know, something like Tehran for Apple, it's really important that that's exclusive to them globally, but lots of other content you can share. So Property Brothers in the UK works for three different broadcast platforms Um, and delivers for each and every one of them, takes up a lot of their schedule, delivering huge advertising revenues for them. So you can window successfully across a number of of windows. And I think in the unscripted space, Fast is a really exciting opportunity for distributors um, because we suddenly have a direct-to-consumer pathway, um, and we can launch our own channels at a cost base that isn't prohibitive, and for us and our partners, we then generate a whole new revenue stream.
3: Does that come into play when you're considering acquiring a third-party project? If you have a fast channel that it would fit into, does that up its potential value for you to say, yes, we want to acquire this?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you'll see more and more of that as, as you know, distribution partners get into that space themselves. Mm-hmm. They'll see that there's a real value that they can share with partners um, that they can window down the line. So it's, it's going to be an interesting... Change in dynamics, I think.
3: Paul, what about for you? Like, for example, you have rich house, poor house. You have whose line is it anyway? Are those kinds of properties also shifting in terms of funding windowing? How many times you can sell it in the same or similar market, or has it stayed about the same?
6: No, I, th- I think, you know, as, as as Tim says, the opportunities with with fast and that you mentioned with Avod mean there are. You know, the long tail is getting longer, I think. You know, it's, it's still, in many respects, a, a bit of a penny business in, mm-hmm. in some respects. But clearly, you, know, you, need, to, you need to balance the, you know, the thing that we all like to do from time to time, which is take a massive check from a big streamer where they take all the rights with, with you know, a, a multi-windowing approach where you can generate value for you know, many, many years into the future.
7: On, on, on that point, so in, uh, on, I, I wanted to, to, to bring an example we, uh, we had at, uh, at New and Connect. So we, we had a show named The Butterfly Effect, very successful on Canal Plus, uh, and they they stopped the they stopped the production in 2018 and in 2020. But it was a very well recognized brand for 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 the French uh, for the French market, and we decided in 2020 to create a YouTube channels. Uh, uh, offering, uh, offering, uh, offering the project uh, to, uh, to, to, the, to the fan base, and very quickly uh, we reach a level of uh, we reach our level of subscribers and revenues which were substantial. And thanks to the revenues generated uh, throughout YouTube, so we are now in a position to reproduce, uh, reproduce shows. So we have uh, we have ten new production in 2023. Uh, to make sure that we will not only make uh, the brand uh, existing, but uh, being refreshed and, uh, and attracting new, uh, new, new partners. And my dream uh, is uh, now to convince uh, a linear partners or a streamers uh, to take back the to take back the, the, the rights and, and potentially and potentially uh, make it live and rebloom uh, again. And and we we are. Another example, on an investigation product named uh, Fait Entrer l'Accusé, we manage with uh, our partners, uh, our linear partners, to let, uh, so we, we, we have a YouTube channels too, we have fast channels uh, on the show, and we manage, uh, the, so we have a huge library of more than 220 uh, documentaries uh, or investigation, and we manage throughout the windowing to make everyone pleased. They have... Uh, incredible audience on uh, on the show on on the linear channels and we are generating significant revenues on YouTube.
3: That's that's a great anecdote for any content creators out here to realize that you know if there's a, a if there's a passion for the project and if there is volume when you partner with a distributor and a and a strategic partner that's creatively thinking there's a way to continue your project even if your initial commissioner mm for whatever reason has had it end, and, and there are now opportunities with things like fast channels and YouTube that didn't exist way back when to, to, as you say, Paul, create a much longer tail, which is terrific. I'm wondering, Guillaume, when you are making decisions about should we craft a YouTube channel, should we go with a big elephant in the room giving us all the money, taking it off the market forever, or hold back and try and sell it into a lot of territories, how much, if at all, do you go back to your IP creator, your content creator, to make that decision with them? And how much of it is just something you decide as the experts, and they get the check?
5: I think it's a mindset. So, you know, going back on the discussion of being co-producer, it's a discussion you have in full transparency. Because when you have producer in front of you, and I guess we have in the room, you know, it's your baby. You're carrying it maybe for, I don't know, HPI, I think it was like seven or eight years of development. So you need to be transparent and saying, okay, we have this opportunity. This is our expertise. Do you trust us? Do you have any feeling, any gut feeling? Should we go for it? Um, I know at Federation, we, we don't have a, a catalog that big mm-hmm. because we're trying to keep it like a, under a certain amount of new project every year. So we can have some time to work you know, on a case by case, um, keep the producer in the loop. And I think that's just key. You know, we're not selling microwaves. We're just selling series uh, and unscripted scripted shows. So we need to to keep the discussion with the producer and being a small producer sometimes, um, and keep them in the loop, of course.
3: Rudolf, how about you? How do you how do you New and Connect handle that? So
7: well, to because
3: you have a larger catalog, more so
7: producers. W- we, we have a larger catalog, but we have a we have a very similar approach. A first of all, we are French, and so uh, so we we have a we have a strong regulation within the market, and and the and the discussion with the producers is uh, is. is is a must to go, so we can't we can't make decision uh, really without uh, without our producers on board, and it's good. So and, and we really feel that being 100% transparent with them is a is a key element. And Guillaume was mentioning hip it's it's, it's a very good a very good example, probably one of the most so the most successful uh, uh, free-to-air uh, in in France uh, in the last two years. Uh, so the first uh, the first uh, season did uh, an average of 12 million viewers uh, on TF1, uh, and so we managed to sell the the we managed to sell the rights throughout the world. with more than 100 territories uh, acquiring the show, prime time prime time airing on Rai on uh, on Antena uh, 3 on IRD uh, uh, in Germany. So a huge huge success, and of course we were approached throughout the throughout Europe by. Uh, by most of uh, the key linear channels or producers to remake the rights. And uh, A, we made the decision with the producers not to accept uh, most of the, the offers we had because we wanted to protect the, the, the ready-made. We are making more money on the ready-made. <coughs> than on. The, uh, but when we had to make the choice uh, about uh, the, the English-speaking world, because uh, it, it's still complex to sell uh, a Spanish or in Italian or a French shows to uh, to the UK first, and uh, and and it's more easy in the US, but in the UK it's uh, it's uh, it's most of the time a no go, except some some example like the Bureau. Uh, and so we went to them, and, and we had several offers from, uh, from U.S. buyers and, and, and U.S. partners, and, and we decided really step-by-step step to have them on board and make the right decision to protect not only the, the value of the show, but the, the long-term value. Mm-hmm. Because one of the key elements for us, uh, and, and we are lucky at Nguyen to be on a producers with Nguyen Studio and a distributors with, with Nguyen Connect, we think about the long-term value for a producers yeah. of keeping rights and making sure that uh, um, on a very short-term or mid-term basis, those rights will come back and will generate value for for, for the company.
3: Tim, what about with you? Again, you have a large catalog. It's not a smaller boutique like Federation. Are you in a position, is your company in a position to go back to each of the rights owners and discuss deal-making? Do you have a certain measurement as to when it makes sense to do it and when not? Does it depend on what your initial agreement with that IP provider stated? How does it work for you? All of the
4: above. I mean, I think we, as an independent distribution company, we've got you know, a big acquisitions team. So our our pipeline is dependent on us having a good relationship with producers and delivering for them. And they judge us on the revenues that we're returning to them. So we've got a a big acquisitions team who are, you know, in constant touch with the producers. So they're aware of what's going on. I wouldn't say we talk to them about every deal. I think in a pre-sale stage, absolutely, we'll be discussing with them what the best pathway for is. That's what I mean, yeah. Certainly Um, the pre-sale stage, yeah. But in normal deals, they trust us to do the best deals. And I think they're quite happy with the results.
3: Yeah, and what about for you, Paul? Same. I
6: agree with all, all, all the above. I think it's it's slightly horses for courses. You know, we have a, a smaller boutique distributor um, like Federation, but I think you know, I think Rian said this is the producer's baby, and you need to you need to respect that. Mm-hmm. So you know, a show like Who's Line, which has been part of Hatchwick for I don't know more than thirty years. We, we barely do anything without talking to the creators and producers, whether that's a YouTube channel or the 20 or so different versions that have been around the world or any, any of the plans or any major deals, like when we brought it back into the UK. Um, you know, we, we, we talk you know, with Dan and the, and the, and the team you know, in, in detail. So I think, as Tim says, there are other things. Most producers are not interested in the third window in right. Estonia. Sorry for anyone from Estonia. Right,
5: you know (laughs) I've talked
3: about Estonia a lot. Yeah,
5: yeah, that's why I said that. And also, Heli, I just want this is just between us. But you know, one of the best negotiation tool ever is the good cup, bad cup one. So you know, when you're negotiating and you have the producer with you you can say to the commissioner, I'm really sorry, but that they're asking, you know, I can come back and they will never <laughs> accept for that.
7: <laughs> don't give all the truth. There are maybe some Don't give them any ideas.
3: Yom, don't give them any ideas. We've spoken about windowing. We've spoken a little bit about pre-sales and all of that. What about classic deficit financing where you take some money out of your own pocket right from the beginning, minimum guarantee in advance, deficiting, how is that working for each of you? Has anything changed there? What, if, if somebody out here had a project they wanted to bring to one of you, what is your sort of standard and practice in that regard? Tim, let's start with you.
4: Yeah, so if, if, um, if there's a gap, we'll look at it, and you know, I think inscripted probably 25, 35% will find a pathway to cover that if, we, if we're interested in the, in the project. Unscripted, probably slightly less, ten to ten to twenty percent of the of, of the budget, but it depends. You know, there are shows where we've we've put up to fifty percent um, areas that we're really strong in, and we know the international marketplace, like crime. You know, there is an insatiable desire for crime content, and we can we can fund up to fifty percent of the, the budget in some of those series if we can see really strong opportunities in key markets. So yeah, it's a, it's just a
6: conversation to have, I think.
3: Great. Huh?
6: Yeah, as, as Tim says, it's a, con- it's a conversation. I think we're in the same kind of ballpark, but probably not on such a big scale. Um, I think in some respects, we, we prefer to deficit.
3: And you why know? is that?
6: Well, if you, if you believe in something, you need to show, you know, we're a producer as well as distributor, as I think we all are. So yeah. you need to show the colour of your money. So if you believe in it and the sales team believing it and the, and the forecasts stand behind it, you think, well, actually, it's, it's, it's simpler, it's cleaner. And... You know, if we can if we can do a deal, then we will, and then and then off we go.
3: Interesting, that's really put your money where your mouth is, and mm. have some skin in the game. On, well,
7: on, uh, on this... Uh, I, so I hear no, a I like, different. No, 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 no. Yeah, I one hundred percent with what Paul just said. So we so and, and I would say it's 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 kind of game. So I'm sure that if on on every single show that we are competing uh, with with you uh, team or with uh, or, or with you, Guillaume, I'm sure that. So we are all doing the same. So we have uh, we have our sales exec uh, working on uh, and so delivering a sales forecast, and then according to the sales forecast, uh, we are running numbers and uh, and and gap deficiting. And I'm sure that if we were checking our our approach and, uh, and the forecast of our team, it would be very similar. So at some point, it's a kind of uh, it's a kind of game. So we know that uh, in a. a, a um, a Swedish or Danish or I, so Iceland project or a German project or a French project we can gap deficit to uh, a certain level and if I'm looking at back uh, three years ago from now and looking at the forecast I've been doing it's plus or minus minus 20 percent exactly the same so but I have a uh, two recent uh, example of project where. At some point, the producers came to me, asked for a gap deficit, Uh, I ran numbers, uh, I made an offer, and then they called me back and said, well, if you're convinced that you can bring that level of money, so what about uh, a straight-to-distribution deal, Uh, and then uh, rather than taking 25 or 30 percent commission fees, uh, you will just put 10 percent, so you will just charge 10 percent fees, uh, because if you put that number on the table, so it means that you're convinced, and, uh, oh, and and so it was very interesting to see. And when we were talking about being engineer or financing engineers, in some cases we have uh, we have uh, we have in front of us producers with. Uh, either equity partners or bank who are in a position to gap deficit or self-estimate, uh, and they take the risk themselves uh, yeah. rather than uh, asking for a minimum guarantee. So th- I, so the world is so not dais. only changing for, uh, for, uh, for us and for the commissioners, but in the meantime, so the producers we are dealing with sometimes are uh, thinking out of the box.
3: Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I guess you have to like the show, the project well enough, and or think... If if you are going to consider going down to a 10% distribution fee, then you've got to probably think, then this is a volume play. We're going to be able to sell this in a lot of territories. And I would imagine in a situation like that, and Guillaume, I will get to you, I still want you to answer what we were just discussing, but I would imagine in a situation like that, if you were to consider taking a lower distribution fee, you would be very much less inclined to go one and done with a global... Svod player and just
7: sell it once. You, you, you know what? At the end, so my goal is making sure that uh, the, the 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 show will be financed and uh, and produced. So um, so the the producers came to us because they they want their show to exist. They they want uh, they want the the writers and the filmmakers and working on the project. So. If at some point uh, I have a global streamers which uh, give us a chance to speed up the process and uh, and get the go on a very short-term basis, once again it will be a discussion. Uh, it will be a discussion between uh, between uh, us and the producers and, and at the end they will make the decision. Mm-hmm. It's not my decision. Okay. and I rather prefer to take less fees and please the producers rather than uh, potentially trying to, you heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. my long-term <laughs> revenues. It, it's at some point we are building up long-term relationship, and, yeah. and there are many producers with whom we are working on two, three projects a year. Or and and we know that uh, if they are if they are comfortable with us, we will be the first shop uh, for the yeah. next project or for uh, an exciting show. So uh, we are we are not singing uh, that way.
3: Guillaume, what because you are a smaller <coughs> boutique like Paul is saying, how? does GAP deficit financing work for you? What is your process procedure? How do you look at that versus pre-sales and so forth?
5: Well, I think the, the guy said everything, and we, we, it depends, you know, it's a case-by-case, case and sometimes you have some uh, private equity funds. What I wanted to raise as well is that we are not only a distribution company. You know, we are, we are integrated within a production company, yeah. a production group. So I think we... Which we, all of you are, actually. Yeah, all of that's you. the case for yeah. everyone here. Um, and I think that's also interesting. You're not dealing only with the distributor. You're dealing with the distributor integrated within a production company. So we have a pretty staffed production team inside so they can help on the budget. Um, you know, we have many affiliates in Europe, so you can have uh, production services on which we can help as well. If you were to think of a co-pro between UK and Spain, or Germany and France, or Italy and Spain, or whatever. So, um, so you know, it's not only, so there is the gap, of course, but I think we can help improving and optimizing as well the budget. Um, and all the different cases can happen. We can fund ourselves the gap or being helped.
3: Do you any of you ever find that the fact that you are indeed also production groups... Does that ever hinder a producer coming to you because they look at you or as maybe competition, saying, okay, you have your baby from your company to sell and you have our baby from outside to sell. You're gonna give more love to your own. Is that ever an issue? Is that ever something that comes up in conversation? Is that something that you need to you know, show that you're neutral and you love all your projects the same way?
4: I think you know at Cineflix we've got a Canadian US production business mainly focused on unscripted with you know starting to do some some scripted and some some movies um, so it's not seen as a huge competition I think with the producers that we're we're talking to um, you know I think if you work for a bigger distributor that's a question that you will get often um, and they need to figure out a way to make third-party producers comfortable with the fact that they're not giving more attention to their, their in-house, but really for Cineflix, I don't, I don't think it's an issue.
3: How about for you, Paul?
6: I sort of think, you know, it's just a personal view, but I think that <clears throat> you know, most distributors of any scale have a, a, a part of a production group as well, so you sort of need to get over it a little bit, and if you believe in them, and I think you know any distributor is always going to tell you that they're... Um, their sales team are bonused on sales, and everyone's—it's all about sales. It doesn't matter where it comes from. Okay, and I sort of think you need to take it on on face value.
3: Um, we have about five, six minutes left to go. So, if there are any questions from the audience, would love to get them.
1: Oh hi, I'm Philippa Collie Cousins. I just wanted to ask a question about forecasting. Um, and, and just to find out from the panel when they found forecasting reliable or deeply unreliable. When have you had a hit when it looked like it wasn't going to be a hit? And and when haven't you? Would anybody
3: like to jump in on terms of forecasting and because you were talking about you have to do forecasts before you decide what kind of advance or deficit you're gonna provide? They're called
6: forecasts for a reason. Yeah. You know they're not they're not gospel, and I think you're 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 talking to a team with tens, hundreds of years of experience who are putting mm. these together. And sometimes you, don't, you get it wrong in the right way, and sometimes, occasionally, very occasionally, you get it right in the in the
4: wrong way. You tend, we tend to base it on previous experience, so we'll look at similar shows and see how they've delivered, and really build up a range um, and we will usually look at a low and a high and um, depending on how how excited we are about the content come out somewhere in the middle
7: and and we have, we have the uh, we have the sales execs coming from uh from, if I take the example of my team, so I have sales exec coming from j from uh, uh, BBC, from Sky, from NBC Universal, from Studio Canal. So, so not only we have the experience of the shows we've been distributing in our company, but we have the track record of our uh, for 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 what experience. And so, honestly, and I agree with you. So we we so. When we are when we are forecasting, there are very very few projects on which we are really above. So mm. H I P is a good example for us. So we were not expecting the show to be uh, to be that successful, and the the company we were in competition with, we decided not to make the small additional investment to take the right. They made a huge mistake, but we can't blame them because nobody was expecting that show to be so successful. So mm. yeah. So and sometimes. Even though we are not reaching the level of green light we, we, we want to reach, if we are really in love with a product, uh, I always say this to my team in the acquisition team: "So you have every year one joker. So if one shows is really something, you are 100% convinced that it will be uh, something special. We go for it. So you one joker a year."
3: Anything different from? No, no, your what we say:
5: the difference between the estimates and the reality is this gray area of passion. And we had the, the same panel with uh, Rodolphe last week in Paris. And there is something we didn't mention in 45 minutes is negotiation. Yeah. And that's really part of the thrill of being a salesperson. So, you know, you're you're making estimates and then if you have the chance, because most of our time is just like you producers, we got passed and refused. But once you have an offer, then you start negotiating. And, you know, that's the real, I think, pleasure of this, of the, of this job.
3: I think nobody predicted Squid Game was going to be as big as it was. Yeah. And if they had forecast it and hadn't predicted it, mm. I don't think anybody would fault them for having not predicted that, you know?
7: <laughs>
3: and, and so you're only human, and nobody fires the weather person because they got it wrong that it was going to rain or not rain. It's probably something similar, you know, using experience to estimate what's going to happen. We have about a minute and a half left. I'd like to ask this really interesting group of panelists, is there anything else, just like you brought up negotiation, anything else you'd like to touch on that we haven't touched on that you think is worth sharing with the group here today.
4: I think you know if you've got projects that you believe in, that passion comes through. So we can all say we're interested in crime procedural. Duh, 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 duh. I think if, if a producer is really passionate about a show and manages to sell it somewhere, then that's of interest. So believe in your project and, and share that
6: enthusiasm.
3: Share that passion. Yeah. Paul? I
6: would agree with Tim and find the distributor who really loves that sh- loves that show and will believe in it for a long time.
3: Right, look for not just for the first passion too. Yeah.
7: Same thing. So we, we love uh, reading scripts and and I'm waiting for the next scripts so to read that I will uh, enjoy and be passionate about and, uh, and and go for it. So it's really uh, it's really we are in a world of uh, so of so we are part of this uh, entertainment ecosystem and uh, and at the early stage when we are picking a project uh, we need to be passionate about it.
3: Yeah.
5: Yeah. Nothing more interesting than what you just said. I think it's just an amazing period. Really passionating.
3: Yeah, I think it's been an amazing panel and really interesting. I want to thank each and every one of you for bringing your experience and expertise and perspective and passion to this, uh, to this panel. And thank you all for being here. That's all
0: for this episode, but you can hear more discussion by tuning in to our C21 FM internet radio station, where you'll find new interviews airing from Monday. The podcast will be back next Friday. In the meantime, stay up to date with all the latest from the London TV screenings and the international TV industry by following C21 Online on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.